Our next guest is Mark Zuckerman of Mass and Sports and MassandSports.com, the beat writer for the Washington Nationals. Good morning, Mark. Happy holidays. How you doing? Good morning. How are you guys today? We're great. Good. Thanks uh, for spending some time with us. Let Mark. me Appreciate let me ask you a couple of things Nats related right off the bat, and that's one, Annabelle Sanchez, who was signed to two years and $19 million with an option for 2021. Uh, when they, you know, traded uh, Tanner Roark to the Reds, uh, that certainly opened up a spot. And uh, Sanchez seems to be a pretty good guy because, uh, number one, his numbers last year, pretty good. But against the Nationals, even better. Yeah, he's dominated the Nationals. Yeah. Uh, not just last year with the Braves, but going all the way back to when he was with the Marlins. Yeah. Um, he's always been a thorn in their side, and he's had really good numbers at the Nats Park as well. So, I think they looked at that. I think they looked at this last season, and they believed that that wasn't just some kind of outlier here. Um, they think that he's actually made some changes to his repertoire. He's uh, started throwing his cutter a whole lot more, um, relying on that more than his fastball. Uh, basically, by changing speeds, by getting movement, he in, was one of the best in baseball at inducing weak contact last season. And I think the Nationals feel like that is a, a skill that's valuable and a skill that uh, should translate from year to year. Now, look, there, there's some gamble here. You're giving him two guaranteed years mm-hmm. at $19 million. He's 35. He is coming off a very good year. But uh, it's been a while since he's gone back-to-back and, and having quality seasons. Um, he also has not uh, had a track record for making 30 starts or approaching 200 innings. He's been more of a 20 starts, 120 to 140 inning kind of pitcher. So I think what they're hoping for here is uh, quality over quantity, perhaps, recognizing that they may not get a full uh, season out of him like you would out of Scherzer, but if the innings he gives them uh, are high quality, then it will be worth it. But um, I think a lot of people, myself included, are going to be paying really close attention to what Tanner Roark does next season in Cincinnati yeah. because there's going to be an obvious comparison between these two because they essentially said we'd rather have Sanchez than Roark. And I can't say that that's uh, absolutely the right move. I think it could go either way, and it's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out. Well, now let me ask you this. Uh, with Fetty and Joe Ross in the back end of that rotation, I'm assuming that Mike Rizzo isn't done yet as far as maybe filling out that uh, rotation in general and going out and getting someone else. And I'm here. I'm hearing the name Wade Miley mentioned yeah. there. Yeah, Miley is one of the guys that they've uh, talked to in the last week or two, certainly since the Roark trade. Um, yeah, I do think that they're going to be looking for more. I don't know if it's somebody along those lines. I don't know if it's potentially somebody bigger name. I'd, I'd be surprised at this point. If they went and spent more, you know, significant money on a bigger name starter, but we know the history. Mike Rizzo believes uh, in the power of winning through a dominant rotation, mm-hmm. and that's not the trend in baseball nowadays, actually. But he still believes that is the best way to go about it. And so, would it shock me if he went and signed Dallas Keuchel? No, I'd be surprised, but not shocked, uh, because I do think this is what he believes is the best path towards winning a championship uh, is doing something like that. But, you know, you're right, Craig, in that they like Joe Ross and Eric Fetty, but, again, you're talking about two young guys um, with track records of injuries, uh, guys who have not pitched full seasons 
in the big leagues. And inconsistencies uh, when they're on the mound. Right, right. I think Ross, they do feel like before the Tommy John surgery, uh, was was on a, a pretty good track and looked like he had the makings of a, of a good, solid number three or four starter. Um, but, you know, didn't really get to see a lot of him after the injury. And Fetty, uh, for all the promise there, we really haven't seen a lot uh, of him living up to it so far. So what? they want to have alternatives to those guys. They do believe those guys are going to be in the mix along the course of the season. But I don't think they want to uh, feel like they have to rely on one or both of them um, given the histories there. What Stan said about Wade Miley is interesting because we saw obviously what he did with the Brewers last year, but the other part when he was healthy. But the other part of it is if you look back over his career, the numbers that he puts up in the National, National League, League as opposed yeah. to the American League is night and day. And we saw yeah, that Stan, we saw that here in Baltimore. Yeah, at Sanchez is kind of a similar thing. In Detroit, yep. the numbers are awful, but you look at his uh, yeah. uh, Miami and Atlanta numbers much better. Yeah. Uh, they've done this before. Doug Fister was a similar case. Uh, even Scherzer, to some extent. Uh, I do think they look for value sometimes in guys who've been in the American League and they feel like they can thrive better uh, in the National League. So um, it's going to be fascinating how this all plays out. And, you know, like I said, it's really going to be fascinating how this season turns out for Tanner Roark and. Will they ultimately have made the right decision in trading him in exchange for Sanchez and whoever else uh, they end up getting? Um, I don't know the answer to that. I, I was a Tanner Roark guy. I yep. believe that uh, his value in always making his starts, he's never spent a day on the DL. Uh, I know the last two seasons weren't as good for him in terms of performance. Um, but I felt like he was a pretty strong bounce-back candidate and just a guy who did so much for this team over the years, uh, and at times when he could have complained about it and he didn't, uh, I, I think they are going to miss him. Um, but it's entirely possible that the replacements are going to be better for them, and it's really going to be interesting to me to watch how that plays out over the next season. You know, it's interesting, Mark. You probably know that I am a big Mucina fan. Heist is a fan and a friend of Mike Mucina's. I hadn't it's, heard that about Craig. It, it's it's, <laughs> it's, it's interesting if you if you flip flop him and Tom Glavin, and Glavin would have been in the AL East, and he would have pitched in the National League. I think <laughs> I think Mucina's clearly a first ballot Hall of Famer if his numbers were compiled in the National League. Well, you know, and Mike Maddox used to tell, or I'm sorry, Greg Maddox used to tell me all the time, he says, if I pitched in the American League, my, my ERA would have been at least a run higher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's funny. As much as, uh, as much as the two leagues have kind of become homogenous and that all those things over the years that we felt like were uh, separating the two, uh, really aside from the, D, the DH, there isn't that much difference anymore, and yet some of those old... Uh, truism still kind of hold up, and the American League is a tougher league for pitchers. There is more offense. You're facing nine hitters instead of eight, uh, and I think you do see it affect the pitcher stats even even in today's game. Yeah, how about that? You know, you might have heard that about me or, you know, that, that I'm a friend and a fan, but also I've heard about you that you've never voted for him for the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and I'm going to start on this again. I have not submitted my ballot yet, so I'm still open to uh, to adjustment. Uh, and it, as always, I give it a really good, close look, and it is every year one of, if not my toughest decisions, is where to go. How do you think analytics has played into that with him? 
I mean, his his rise from say twenty four or five percent all the way up to sixty three and you know sixty three point five last he's year. He's right now with seventeen percent of the vote in. He's got eighty two percent of the, yeah. the, the the vote so far, but it's yeah. long way to go. I I think analytics have played a role in it. I think also some of this is um, the, the the changing generation of voters uh, that you've had some turnover uh, in voters over the last five years or so. And so maybe you have more younger voters who grew up watching this guy pitch as opposed to having covered him mm-hmm. pitch. And so they may have a little different uh, image in their mind uh, of who he is. I, I certainly think that the changing electorate has had a big effect on Clemens and Bonds and other PED, uh, accused PED users, uh, why their totals are going up, because I think you're seeing uh, people now who grew up watching baseball during the steroid era, not necessarily covering it, and who look at it as maybe less uh, of, a, of an infraction and less uh, of, a, of a black mark against them during a time when baseball was not testing or punishing for testing. Uh, and I think that's played a big role in it, too. So it, it is fascinating to me. You know, when I first started voting, there were a few guys on the ballot. Burt Blylevin was one of them who... I never, you know, he was out of baseball long before I started covering it. Mm-hmm. I remember him as a kid watching him, but even his career began, I think, before I was born. And I always felt a little uncomfortable, like, am I really the most qualified person to be judging uh, this guy's career? Now you're seeing guys in the ballot. These are all the guys that I uh, have watched my whole life and, and covered for most of their careers. And I think you have a different perspective on it when it's that, uh, you know, as opposed to the guys that you only saw on TV, uh, you know, when you're 10, 12 years old. This deal yesterday with the Reds and the Dodgers, do you really, are you amongst a lot of people who think that now the Dodgers have cleared all the space they need to to sign Bryce Harper? I'm not so convinced about it myself. Well, I have always, before this, and go back two years, I've always believed that the Dodgers were the number one uh, potential suitor. For mm-hmm. Bryce, I just thought it made too much sense on both sides. You're talking about an iconic franchise uh, in a city in a market that I think suits him better than New York or even Chicago. Um, a franchise, though, that for all the success they've had, think about who all the, the greats in Dodger history are. They're pitchers. It's Koufax and Drysdale, Valenzuela, Hershiser. Uh, Kershaw now, you know, who are the great hitters in L.A. Dodger history? You're talking about Kirk Gibson, Steve Garvey, that type, uh, and a franchise that has gone now 30 years without winning a title. They've yep. come really close the last two years. I think there's a lot of motivation on their part to now try to get over that hump and restore that franchise to where they believe it should be, and maybe now is the time that they go for broke and spend big on a guy like Bryce Harper to help them get over that hump. So Stand I've that. always felt like it was appealing on both sides, and I think the trade yesterday only helps bolster that potential. Stan, that comparison right there he makes with the players, yeah, you know, is, is an interesting perspective we haven't really heard no, from. We or haven't talked discussed about. it. Yeah. yeah, you're you're right about that. There haven't been many Los Angeles Dodger hitters that are considered iconic or great names uh, in the game of baseball. Mark, before we let you go, I got about one minute. Can you give me your thoughts on two Hall of Fame votes? Billy Wagner, relief pitcher, and Jeff Kent, second baseman. 
Sure. Uh, I've, I have voted for Wagner each year that he's been on it. Yep. Uh, I think the only knock on him is the, the lack of volume mm-hmm. of innings. But you look at what he did per inning, strikeouts. And uh, whip. Whip. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Saved all that. He, he is right there with Hoffman and all the greats uh, among the closers. So I do vote for him. Lower, uh, Jeff, l- lower career whip than Mariano Rivera. He exactly. has a under 9, mm-hmm. 9.8, Rivera's 1.00. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Complete dominance. So, yes, I do vote for him. Kent, I have not voted for um, basically because the short version is, yes, as a second baseman, you look at the power numbers and say he's among the best of all time. But, number one, he wasn't bringing a lot else to the table in terms of defense, base running, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and, number two, when you look at him versus the rest of baseball in his time, uh, he doesn't really stand out. There were so many big power hitters in his era that I think he gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. And so if you just want to compare him to other second basemen and say, yeah, he did hit for a lot of power, but I think in the context of what was going on in baseball during his time in the game, uh, it doesn't quite stand out as much. But I'm surprised he doesn't get more support. Yeah. I do think he deserves more than the, you know, what did he get, about 10% even of the vote. I think he deserves more than that. Mark, thanks a lot for being with us and taking the time today. Happy holidays to you, your family, Rachel, Brian, and uh, I, I'm assuming your, I'm your... assuming he's ready for the big night. Yes. Uh, <laughs> seven years old is a good time to be a kid. All yes, right. it is. Mark, thanks very much. Happy, healthy New Year. All right. All right. Thank you. You guys, too.